Yeah, pseudo series, right? Pseudo new series. It might be new. It might not be. Um, I like the idea that uh, the Apostle Paul just kind of snuck in here and scratched out the S with his little red pen and wrote his name in there. Um, just because we are getting to the point uh, in the service or in the, in the uh, this series because technically it'll still be one series. Um, we are getting to the point in the series where things start to shift a little bit, all right? Things start to turn in the book of Acts. And um, Luke is, is recording this, and um, he starts to focus a little bit more on Saul. And so um, from here on out, the book of Acts kind of takes this turn where he's focusing on Saul and his journey and his, his actions um, as an apostle as he becomes Paul or changes his name to Paul. Um, and I think that's really significant for us, all right? It's really significant because up to this point in the life of the church, um, the leadership of the church has been like Peter and the gang, okay? It's been, it's been the 12, the apostles, right? That's been the leadership of the church. And while Paul doesn't like immediately take on leadership with the 12, his portion of what's happening in the life of, of the way of the church is really significant. He starts planning churches. Um, he starts writing letters that we then know become scripture. And we know in 2021 that if you look in the New Testament, um, Saul ends up playing a larger, probably a more significant role in how the church ends up and how the church goes than the apostles do, than the 12 do. Because if you look at the New Testament, uh, there's 27 books in the New Testament, 13 uh, of them, some would argue 14 are written by this guy, okay? Um, and while there, there's only one person who wrote more words that are recorded as in the New Testament, and that's Luke, because he wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, half of the book of Acts is about this guy, okay? So to say he's significant in, in, in the role of the church is kind of an understatement there. So we're shifting a little bit, and while it's the same series, the Acts of the Apostles, it's kind of focused more on one in particular, okay? Acts of the Apostle Paul. Um, so this morning, if you're gonna, we're gonna start with, uh, again, Acts chapter nine. We've kind of been hovering around this area, chapter seven, eight, nine, 10. We're back to Acts chapter nine again, because if you're gonna talk about Saul or Paul, then you have to start with his conversion and how he came to this whole thing. So that's what we're gonna focus on this morning. So if you want Acts chapter nine, um, and we'll ver read the first, uh, what, 15, ver no, 10 verses, nine verses. There we go. Read the first nine verses and we'll go from there this morning. So Acts chapter nine. And again, this is happening right about the same time that Stephen has been murdered. Saul, is, it says he was, there was a young man named Saul there that the people were laying their coats at the feet of Saul and he was looking on approvingly. That's this guy, okay? Um, and then Philip, the whole thing with Philip happens. And then verse or chapter nine, starting in verse one. Says this now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went, for, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, whether men or women, he might bring them in shackles to Jerusalem. Now, as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city and it will be told to you what you must do. 
The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him to Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Now, before we go further in the scripture, because we're going to read not the whole thing, but we'll read most of this story of Saul's conversion. Um, Take a second to think about that word, breathing threats and murder. I always approach that word as like, Paul was breathing out threats and murder. He's speaking out, so he's breathing out. It's like, it's, it's just, it's coming out of him that way. But if you look at the Greek word there, breathing, it's empaneo, it actually has the context of inhaling. So Paul is, or Saul is, inhaling. He is taking in it is feeding him, it is his life, it is what's giving him energy and power and, and the ability to move on, threats and murder against the church. Like that's what's driving this man, okay? That is what's driving this guy. This good, upstanding, righteous, according to the law man, he was doing it the best you could do it. He was zealous for his love about God. So much so that this idea that the church is scattered from Jerusalem, it's not enough for, for Saul, okay? It's not enough that the church would be broken up and, and sent out to different places. Now Saul's like, you know what? I don't want this thing just scattered. I don't want this thing, this thing just broken up. I want it stomped out. So he gets permission. He gets a letter giving him permission from the high priest in Jerusalem to go to Damascus, to the synagogue in Damascus, and to find out if there's anybody there, if anybody's gone to Damascus who is a believer as they've scattered, and he's gonna drag them back to Jerusalem. He's gonna put them in prison, and they're gonna, they're gonna decide what to do with them from that point on, okay? He's gonna take care of this plague that has started in this Jewish community as he sees it. It's become his crusade. He's doing it for God. Do you understand that? He's doing it for God. And as he's making this journey, God literally knocks him off his feet. He fell to the ground, okay? Boom, knocked him down, off of his feet. Saul thinks he's taken one journey, but God is about to change his plans and send him down another road. Has God ever done that to you? Send you down another road? Knocked you off your path that you thought you were on? and sends you down. But God literally knocks him off his feet, literally off of his feet and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, um, I don't even know who you are. How am I persecuting you if I don't know who you are? Who are you, Lord? And Jesus, God responds with, it's me, it's God, it's Jesus. I am Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. You're seeing Jesus, you're seeing God in this light for the very first time, is what he says to him. What was it like for you the day you met Jesus? What was it like? The very first time you came face to face with the reality that your way, what you were doing to get through life, your method of surviving for this world wasn't gonna cut it. Didn't work anymore. What was it like when you realized you were separated from God or that your way was opposed to God and that you were opposed to God? You may have not understood it all in those terms at that point, but, but you came to a realization that something's not right here 
and God's gonna do something about it. God has to do something about it. See, Saul thinks he's on one journey and it's a journey for God, okay? He's out there doing this thing for God, but God steps in, knocks Saul off his feet and says, I've got different plans for you, Saul. I've got better plans for you. And so what we're witnessing in this account is Saul, for Saul is a radical revelation of God. If we're gonna come to Christ and we're gonna realize what Christ has actually done for us and in us, it's going to come in the form of a radical revelation from God. Saul had a radical revelation of God in Jesus Christ. That's what Saul is facing in this moment. This was something totally new. This was something that he had not experienced before, okay? Saul, in his own words, um, later on in Acts chapter 22, when he's, he's recounting this story, he does it in Acts chapter 22, he does it in Acts chapter 26, and he tells the same story, but he's, he's recounting it for these people, and he says he was born a Jew, a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up in Jerusalem, educated under Gamaliel, who was one of like the most sought after rabbis that you could learn under, like the highest, like we're talking Princeton, Yale, Harvard, Ivy League education in the Jewish culture, right? He was educated strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, okay? That, Paul says, listen, this is who I was. In, uh, in Philippians 3, he gives his credentials, okay? He says, if anybody else thinks he's more, has, he has, if anyone else thinks he is confident in the flesh, I have more reason. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. In other words, you don't get any better than Paul. That's what he's saying. You can't do it any better than I was doing it. Saul was the man. He was the man. I did it all, as good as it got according to the law. That was Saul. Nobody was doing it better. But at this moment in his life, at this moment in Saul's life, this journey to, to Damascus, he was knocked off his feet and he's coming face to face with God in a radical revelation like he had never understood before. He had never experienced God this way. And the radical revelation was this. Saul's religious fervor, his religious zeal for God, his absolute perfection in living out the law, his, his pedigree, his education, all of it. The revelation was it had gotten him no closer to God than anybody else. That was his revelation. Saul was having, having a radical revelation of God in Jesus Christ and he was coming to the, revela or the understanding that I was wrong. <laughs> I'm on the wrong side. That was what he's understanding. Like this is new and this is not what I had known it to be. That everything that he had put his energy into, everything that he had, he had given up his life for, the effort that he had given up to that point, this way of life, it wasn't enough. It wasn't what God desired for him. That's the revelation that's happening in Paul and Saul. Everything that he had believed that he knew was coming to a halt in the face of Jesus. 
And in that moment of radical revelation of God speaking to him as Jesus, Saul now had to reevaluate everything, okay? He had to reevaluate everything. And I can see him turning those circles in his mind. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If Jesus is the Messiah, what does that mean for all that I know and all that I believe, okay? Let's go, law and the, the prophets, okay? What about the prophets? Okay, the prophets spoke of the Messiah as a king. Hmm. If this Messiah is supposed to be a king, then why is Jesus not a king right now? You can't be a king if you're dead. Why do he allow himself to be crucified? What do all the prophecies about the Messiah mean then? If not that he would be, if he, if he would be a king that restored Israel, if it doesn't mean that, well, then what does it mean? And if, and if those prophets were speaking by God or through God or for God, if God was speaking through them, and if Jesus is the Messiah, then, then he must be a king. Well, what kind of a king is this? What, what kind of a kingdom are we talking about? Paul's processing all of this stuff. What about the law that I've dedicated my life to fulfilling up to this point as a means for a relationship with God? Was it all for nothing? It has to count for something. What about it? What does it mean? If this Jesus was the Messiah, then everything that Saul knew was being flipped upside down. Saul was the man, okay? Saul was the man. Saul knew the law. Saul knew what Jesus had said about the way the Pharisees lived. Saul was a Pharisee. He knew what Jesus said about them and their interpretation of the law. He had heard what he was teaching. He, had, he knew that Jesus had some really questionable judgments in his time based on his understanding of the law. What does that mean for the law if this is God? And God is saying, well, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What does that mean if, the, if, if God is saying this about the law? See, at this moment in Saul's life, he's experiencing this radical revelation of God. That this life is not what he thought it was. For Saul, who was a very religious man who was committed to Yahweh and to Yahweh's commands, he's discovering that his religion wasn't worth anything. It wasn't doing him any good. And it wasn't worth what he thought it was. What was it like the first time you met Jesus. Have you had that moment? Have you been blindsided by the love of God? Have you been waylaid by, on, on your journey, knocked off your feet by his goodness and his grace? Have you accepted that your way of doing things is not going to cut it? What about those of us that are religious in the room? You're saved, but have you been waylaid by grace? And I mean grace for all of your life. Saul was doing it right. Absolutely, he was living the law according to the law. He was meeting all of the commandments. He was doing these things for God, but in this moment, God was revealing himself to Saul in a completely different understanding than what he thought he knew to be the truth. Maybe you've had that moment, maybe you're still on the road to Damascus, but this journey begins with a radical revelation of God. 
from God in Jesus Christ. Saul has this moment, and as Jesus is talking to him, he's blinded, okay? And he's blinded not just physically, but he's also blinded spiritually. I believe that is what this, this is happening here, right? When, when he talks to Jesus, the reality of his spiritual condition is manifested in the physical. And so he's blinded. He can't see in that way anymore. He's been following God. He's been serving God, but he's been blind to the work of Jesus Christ. And God says to him, all right, in your condition, in this way, get up, go to, go to Damascus, and you'll receive, wait there, because you'll receive instructions about what you must do next. So Saul gets up, he's blind, he's led by the men who are traveling with him who don't know what's going on either because they don't see anything, they just hear the voice, so they're confused as well. What's happening? But let's go to Damascus, and we'll wait there. And when he waits there for three days, he doesn't eat or drink as he's waiting. Now, why is that? Is Saul just so, so shook that he didn't know what to do, right? I mean, I, you could, maybe you can make that argument, but I think what Saul is doing is after having this undeniable encounter with God in Jesus Christ, I think he's fasting, okay? I think Saul is fasting. See, Saul knew something was happening, but he didn't know what. He knew that his understanding of who this Jesus guy was obviously completely wrong. So he's got this struggle that's happening in his life. His entire life is in upheaval. And so these three days of waiting, he's trying to get a hold of this stuff. He's trying to process it, but he doesn't have any tools to do it. Okay? Because everything that he knew is now up on its end. Saul is experiencing disorientation in this time. He doesn't know where he is and he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know where to go. He can't see uh, physically. He's realizing he hasn't been seeing uh, um, spiritually, okay? And so I believe that Saul is fasting. When you look at the scripture and what fasting was, because Saul is Jewish through and through, right? He, is, he, is, he just listed his credentials. He is, you can't get more Jewish than Saul. You can't get more pedigreed than he was. And so Saul is fasting, and fasting for the Jewish people, there's only one day, there's only one time that fasting is required as part of the spiritual experience or the spiritual routine for Jewish people. And that is on the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, okay? You fast on that day, that is a day of repentance. That's a day of, of, um, of uh, being forgiven for your sin, asking for, for mercy for your sin. There is um, uh, praying, there's sacrificing, and there is fasting on that day. Every other day or every other time we understand fasting to be happening in Scripture in the Old Testament, it is 100% voluntary, and it always comes at a time of absolute desperation and anguish, okay? Absolute desperation and anguish. David prayed and fasted when his child with Bathsheba was dying. Anguish. God, you got to do something here. Esther, when she was made queen and the Jewish people faced ex extermination, if God didn't step in, they fasted and they, and they prayed. They fasted. God, you're going to have to do something. We need you. We need your direction. We need your insight. We need to know what you're doing here. Please. 
When Jonah went to Nineveh and pronounced judgment on Nineveh, the people fasted and prayed. God, we, we, we can't do anything. We recognize our ways. They're, they're wrong. They're, they haven't been what you've wanted. And we're, we're sorry. Please forgive us. God, show mercy on us. You're going to have to step in here. God alone can do something in this situation, right? These are situations when people are distraught, when they're overcome with helplessness to do anything about the situation themselves. The common theme in fasting is that it is a response that came out of the deepest places of the heart, deepest places. The most desperate, the most despair-filled days. God, what have I done? God, what am I going to do? Have mercy. You have to intervene, God. You have to do something. I don't know where to go from here. I have nothing left. That's what Saul's experiencing. That's why I believe Saul is fasting. He just came face to face with God, who he thought he was honoring, who he thought he was serving, who he thought he was doing his will, who he thought he was making proud by doing all of these things. And he's coming to the, mo- the, the realization in this moment that he was actually doing the opposite. He was in opposition to what God was doing. He was on the wrong side. He was destroying people's lives because of it. That's the state that Saul is in. Saul is in anguish because he doesn't want to do that. He wants to serve God. He wants to do God's will. He wants to be the one who is out there making things happen for God. But he's been on the opposite side of things and he's been opposing what God is doing. He's been working against God rather than with him. And now Saul knows it. So he's experiencing anguish He's experiencing remorse. He's experiencing confusion because God, I thought this is what you wanted. What what is this? How can this be true? All of my life I've given to the law. I've stood up against the people who would disobey the law, who would speak against God, those who live in anything less than moral perfection. I've stood against those people, God. Jesus came along and he upset all of that. And now he knows that Jesus really is who he said he was and really did what he came to do. So he's got nothing left. Paul doesn't know what to do or Saul doesn't know what to do from here. So he's fasting and he's praying. He's asking for forgiveness. He's asking for clarity. God, I believe this is you, but I don't know where to go from here. I don't know where to go from here. My world is wrecked. Everything that he had as a compass to give him any direction has been shattered. It's been wrecked. He doesn't have anything left. I can do nothing. Saul was at the crossroads, a fork in the road, you might say. Because of this radical revelation, Saul was brought to the place of total dependence on God. Total dependence on God. That's what fasting represents and that's where Saul was. Fasting represents total dependence on God because you're saying, God, I'm not even gonna eat food because what I need is not food right now. What I need is you. That's how desperate I am. I have nothing to offer. In my own strength, in my own knowledge, I have nothing. I can do nothing. 
Later on, Saul would write, I can do all things through Christ. But he doesn't have that understanding yet. He's at the place of total desperation, total dependence on God. I can do nothing. He's faced with the truth that he can't deny. He knows this is God, but he doesn't know where to go from here. He doesn't know what to do. And that's because everything up to this point for Saul in his relationship with God has been about Saul and what Saul can do and how well Saul can keep the law, how well Saul can do the right thing. It's all been on his shoulders. It's all been up to him up to this point. And he realizes, I have nowhere to go from here. I have nothing to offer from here. This Jesus and this grace stuff, he doesn't know what to do with it. He doesn't know how to, how, how to, how to handle it. So he's waiting and he's praying and he's fasting and he's repenting from his old ways. He's asking God to give him direction, to give him clarity of what it all means. It's a place of total dependence on God. Have you reached that place in your life? Have you reached a place of total dependence on God in Jesus? A place where you've recognized that all religious self-made effort is useless. It's not a comfortable place when you get there, okay? It's not a comfortable place at all where you recognize that all religious self-made effort is useless. Because that's a place that is a, it's a place of collision, okay? And what's colliding is faith in Jesus to meet all of my needs physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And that's colliding with my ability to do the things that I need to do to get through life, okay? The life study, remember this? It's not comfortable. If you put your hands like this, it's comfortable, okay? You figure out, but when you switch it, that doesn't feel right. It's uncomfortable. It doesn't feel right because that's not what I've done my entire life up to this point. My entire life up to this point, I've lived in what I can do and what I know how to do and how I can manipulate the situation to be okay and to make it through. And that's not comfortable when I'm at a place of total dependence on God to meet all of my needs. Because I can't do anything. I don't know how to do anything from that point. Even after we recognize Jesus is the only path for salvation. We still do this. We still do. We still try to depend on our own effort and our own energy and our own ability to perform in order to get those needs met. We say things like, God, I'm sick and I believe you can heal me. If you'll heal me, God, if you make me better, I promise to serve you with all I've got. That's not depending on him. That's depending on you. It's spending on God believing you when you say, I'll serve you with all I got. God, if you get me out of this financial disaster, I promise I'll give 10%, no, make it 15% from here on out. It's not depending on God. It's depending on you and your ability to give 10 and 15% from here on out. 
Do you see that? And coming to a place where we recognize that that kind of thing is not the life that God desires, that that kind of thing is not gonna do the trick anymore. It's, it's not a place of comfort. It's a place of crisis because I don't know what to do now. I can't go anywhere. I don't know what to do. I've tried it all. I've tried my best, God, but I just can't do it anymore. Have you reached that point? Have you reached that point? We see Saul in that place. And God speaks to another man while Saul is in those three days, while he's waiting, while he's praying and fasting. He speaks to another man named Ananias. And he says, Ananias, I want you to go to uh, this man, find this man named Saul. And I love what Ananias does. He goes, um, <clears throat> excuse me? <laughs> um, God, I don't, I don't really know if you know who this guy is. I mean, I've heard, my friends have told me, God, that this guy's arresting people. This guy's dragging them off to jail. I don't know if you, so maybe you need to keep, take that into account, God, right? Just before you send me to him. We kind of do that a lot of times, don't we? God, you know, I, I'm gonna give you some more information that you don't know, and maybe that'll change your decision about what you're asking me to do. But God says, no, Ananias, go. I want you to go to Damascus, or in Damascus. I want you to go to this street named Straight, and I want you to find this guy named Saul. So verse, we'll pick it up in Acts chapter nine, verse 15. He says, but the Lord said to him, that's Ananias, go for he, Saul, go for he is cho chosen, he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he is to suffer on my behalf, on behalf of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and after laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like fish scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and he got up and he was baptized and he took food and was strengthened. Saul's in the place of recognizing he's totally dependent on God for what God has done in Jesus Christ. He's totally dependent on him for moving forward. And God says to Saul, okay, Saul, now I can work in you. Now I can work in you. See, as long as Saul is confident in his own ability, in his own strength, and his own performance for relationship with God, as long as he's depending on his own understanding of how to navigate this life and how to navigate this world, he can't see Jesus for the truth of who he is and what he has already accomplished, what it's done. But when Saul is brought to a place where he's so desperate, for direction and understanding, a place where he's recognizing that he can't do anything because his way isn't the way. Now God says, okay, I'll show you my way, Saul. Now I can show you my way. I will show you what I want for your life. I will show you your purpose in relationship with me, Saul. Those scales that have blinded you spiritually for so long and now are manifested physically, those scales will fall off. 
Saul had a radical revelation of God. Never had that before. Never understood who Jesus was. He had a radical revelation of God in Jesus Christ, that Jesus was the Messiah and what Jesus had done as the Messiah. And he had done something that he had previously not understood. That revelation brought Saul to the place of recognizing his total dependence on God in Jesus Christ. And when Saul came to that point, God showed Saul the life he intended for him. Once he was able to get to the point or once he was at the point of, I can't do anything, my effort will mean nothing. Now God showed Saul the life he intended for him. And he says, Saul, your life, your life was not meant to chase people around and persecute them. Your life was not meant for you to be a dictator of religious morality, Saul. It's not the life for you. It's not the life I have for you. Saul, your life was meant for a relationship with me in Jesus Christ. Your life was meant to be found in your death and your resurrection in me. That's the life for you, Saul. Saul would later write in Galatians 2.20, he said, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Saul's eyes were opened. The physical and the spiritual scales fell off. His life, his righteousness wasn't enough. His righteousness wasn't through the law that he had so flawlessly fulfilled. It wasn't through the zeal of his own religious ability to perform for God. It was through Christ and Christ living in him. And at the moment those words were spoken over Saul and Saul grabbed them, that was God's direction. See, Saul had had a vision. There's a man that's gonna come to you and he's gonna give you direction. He was waiting for that. This man comes to him, this Ananias comes to him, lays his hands on him and says these things. All of a sudden, Saul understands he's been made new, right? Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was baptized. Baptism symbolically is saying, I am dying or I have died to the flesh, to my own effort. I've died, right? I've died in Christ. When Christ died, I died with him. And now I am raised up to new life with the resurrection of Christ. I've been made new in Christ. It's my life in him. It's no longer I who live. And Paul says, I don't nullify the grace which he has performed this unfathomable miracle by. I don't nullify that grace by now trying to live the law anymore. Now I totally depend and I trust the grace of Jesus to be my life. It's no longer me who lives. It's Christ in me. That's the life that God intended for Saul. And when Saul got to the place of total dependence on Christ for that, God was able to give him or reveal to him the life that he had for him. Because the life that Saul now had, God was revealing to him. 
And he was saying that he was gonna use Saul in ways that he never imagined possible. Remember, Saul? Saul was a guy who went to the highest level of education that he could possibly get, studying under the best possible rabbi that he could possibly study under. Uh, uh, Gamaliel, there we go, I can't say it. Gamaliel, that was the guy. That was, if you were gonna raise to high rankings within, uh, as a Pharisee in the culture, you studied under him. That's who you did. And very few were chosen. Saul was chosen. Saul was that guy. Saul probably had dreams of, of working in the synagogue. Probably Saul had dreams of running a synagogue, his own synagogue. He was gonna be the guy in charge. And God said, I've got way better plans than you could ever do on your own, Saul. I've got a life you never dreamed of, Saul, because because you can see that your effort is nothing, Paul, Saul. I can actually live my life through you. I have chosen you out of everybody on this planet, Saul. I have chosen you to take my name to the world, the whole world, Saul, the whole world. Everybody, you're gonna bring Gentiles into relationship with me because you're gonna take my name to them. I know, you never thought that was possible that Gentiles would come into relation with me. But God said, that's what he's gonna do through Saul. Can you imagine that? Greeks calling on my name, learning, uh, learning of life and experience in relationship with me, Saul. This is what God is saying to him. Can you imagine that, Saul? You never thought that was possible. You never even wanted it but that's what I'm gonna do through you. Kings, Saul, rulers of this world will trust me for life because you carried my name to them. Even Israel, your own people, will know my love and life in me because that's what I'm gonna do through you, Saul. You never thought that was possible. You never even dreamed of that kind of a life. But because you've trusted me to do it, I'm gonna do it. The life that is available to you in Christ, you and me, the life that is available to you and me in Christ by trusting and depending totally on him in grace, it's so much more than anything you could ever thought, anything you could have ever dreamed of, anything you could have ever imagined. It's so much more than anything you could ever possibly experience by depending on your own flesh and by depending on your own means. You might be able to get through life. There's a lot of people who are getting through life, but this life is so much better than that. God never intended for you to have the ability to maintain relationship with him in your own strength and effort. He never intended for that. It's not what you were designed for. You were created uniquely in all of creation. You were created uniquely to experience God living in you and through you. That's how he designed you. And until you get to the point where you trust, where you recognize that trusting your own ability to handle things, to handle life, whether it's by sinful stuff and habits or whether it's by religion, until you get to the point where you recognize that you don't have the ability to do it. You cannot experience the life that is available to you in Jesus Christ. And I'm talking about your everyday walk in the dog in the park kind of life. 
And I'm talking about raising your kid's life. And I'm talking about take the, the unfathomable things that you never dreamed of that God wants to do through you kind of life. Reaching unreachable people. You never even thought about that. What if God wants to do that through you? You won't do it in your own experience. You won't do it in your own flesh. You won't do it under your own strength. But if you'll trust God and depend on him alone to do it, he'll do it. Look what God did through Saul. Because he had this radical revelation of God, it brought him to the point of total, utter dependence on Jesus when Saul said, I can't. I can't, you're gonna have to. And Jesus said, okay, I will because that's the life I want for you. That's the life I want for you, Saul. And that's the life he intends for you and me and every single believer who has been made new in Christ. As the worship team comes on, comes back up, I want to pray as we close. Y'all can get back up to your feet too. As we, as we wrap up this message, <laughs> I don't know what God's speaking to you. I had a clear direction for this message and it was taking a totally different direction. I was waylaid by grace, once again, surprise. So that tells me that somebody needs to hear it, whether in this room, whether they're doing virtual, they'll watch it later on in this week, maybe they'll watch it three years from now when they happen to stumble across it on YouTube because something, who knows? I don't know. But I believe that somebody needed to hear it. So if you needed to hear it, Chi-Chi will be in the back. She'd be more than happy to pray with people. I'll be in the back, more than happy to pray with people. I just volunteered Chi-Chi. She's like, I don't know what's going on here. You're in the back of the room, so you get it. Um, but let's just pray and let's, let's just invite God into this experience once again. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for moving powerfully. I thank you for speaking powerfully. I thank you for the truth that you have revealed to us, that you continue to reveal to us over and over and over and over in Scripture. And that is total dependence on Jesus, nothing by what we earn, nothing by what we're able to do in our strength, but 100% Jesus and grace. Grace is more than just a little line that we sing in a song, Amazing Grace. God, it is the, it is the, the vehicle by which we have relationship with you. And I thank you for that reminder again, God, of taking somebody like Saul, and turning him into your, your uh, vehicle, your voice for the history of the church, God. He was intent upon destroying the church and you used him to grow the church. God, if that's not grace, I don't know what is. God, I don't know who's in this room right now who you're gonna use to grow the church even further. But I know if we come to a place of utter, total dependence on you, trusting you to do it all, trusting you to, to have already done it in us, then I know, God, it's gonna happen. So we just come to you, God, 
humbly, recognizing that our old religious ways don't do anything. They're not vehicles for anything, God, except frustration. They reveal, it reveals our sin. The law reveals our sin, God, even more. Just shows that we can't do it. So God, we're trusting you to have done it in Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you for that. Holy Spirit, make it true in our hearts right now. God, speak clearly. Amen. This, uh, this next couple of songs, I asked Doug if he read, read the message because they get it to be able to put it up on the screen and stuff. And it's just, uh, it happens over and over and over. He's never, he didn't read the message. He didn't know what it was about. He didn't know what I was talking about. And this song, when you walk into the room, everything changes. Everything changed for Saul when he encountered Jesus. So often we want to get rid of our enemy. And Jesus said, nope, I'm going to use you. Right? Jesus could have waylaid Saul by kicking him into the ditch and taking care of that. But he didn't want to do that. He wanted to use Saul. When you walk into the room, everything changes. So let's... uh, Let's just open our hearts up for a little bit more worship and a little more time with him.